So today we're in Philippians chapter 4. If you have your paper Bible, you can turn there. If you have uh, your sermon notes, it's on our app. Or if you have the YouVersion Bible, lots of ways to get to Philippians chapter 4. We are wrapping up this incredible series today. Now, as you know, the church at Philippi was struggling. They were struggling intensely with persecution. They were being persecuted by their own countrymen, the Jews, the Judaizers, who did not like this message of grace through Jesus Christ. They were being persecuted by the Roman Empire. In fact, their founder, the Apostle Paul, the one writing this letter, was writing from prison, being persecuted for his faith. Their leaders were being arrested, and just a couple years after the writing of Philippians, uh, the Roman Empire would come heavy upon the Christian church, just unleashing hell on them, crucifying them, uh, feeding them to lions, feeding them to dogs, impaling them on spikes and lighting them on fire to light Roman gardens. I mean, this was the real stuff. Awful, awful stuff. Now, the Apostle Paul was writing to them and giving them this encouragement to hang in there. I know it's tough, but hang in there. I love this little, uh, this little slide I, I found. You're a trooper, hang in there. Now, that's in light of the Star Wars month. It's coming up. Not only is December Christmas, it's Star Wars. You know, for some people, it's hard to tell which is more important. You're a trooper, hang in there. So Philippians is a book about encouragement to people who are going through some very, very tough times. And in fact, the key verse is found in Philippians 1.6. The Apostle Paul says, listen, be confident. I know you're feeling unsteady, but be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. These people were getting hit hard time and time and time again. And Paul says, be confident. Now, as I was preparing this message this week about a church being hit hard time and time again, my mind just went to Scott Sterling, and we just have to see Scott Sterling here. It's, uh, it's worth taking a look. The winner of this final set will be the national champions. North Carolina leading by one. Yale and their team captain, Scott Sterling. Love that man. Don't we all? Trying desperately to hold them here, or it's all over. Match point for the Tar Heels. Jones preparing for what may be the last serve of his college career. And here we go. Excellent serve. Thompson setting up. Here comes the spike. Yale has to stop this return. Or oh, deflected oh! right into Scott Sterling's face. And yes! Yale ties it up. Unbelievable. Buckle up, ladies and gentlemen, because Scott Sterling's face has entered the building. Take a gander at this replay. The angle at which Sterling deflects the ball off his skull is nothing short of perfection. Like watching Da Vinci paint with his face. Yale now on the prowl to take the lead. And Carolina setting up what is bound to be a devastating return. And here it comes. Oh, oh no! Sterling makes another tremendous save. And North Carolina is wasting no mother on Pearl. Oh, oh. Sterling scores. Welcome to the heavyweight and everything else. He looks as though he could be praying. The peaceful visage of head drama. We are all witnesses. Testify. Let us feast on the sweet nectar of instant replay. Wonderful save here, just complete sacrifice. The ball flies right past the blockers, into Sterling's awaiting face, back over the net, and then right back to Sterling's face like an obese homie pigeon. That man will leave this court today knowing he gave everything he could. If he leaves it all, the crowd is now on their feet. Like mythical Atlas who bore the weight of the world upon his back, so too has Scott Sterling bore this team upon his face. Yale has come back from the brink and is looking to put this one into the history books. That's point for Yale. Did Carolina finally push one through Sterling? Brown Sterling! Did you see that? Here comes a spike straight to the man! The man! The legend! His teammates help him to his feet. No! They raise him heavenward! <laughs> All right. Just had to show you that. 
Sometimes we get hit time and time again, and it is tough. Sometimes life just gets tough. Now, there are people who experience some little traumas in life, right? And, and I don't mean to downplay these things, but compared to what was happening in Philippians, we do experience some things that aren't really big deals. They're smaller and they're temporary, right? We might have a, a small family disconnect that we have to deal with or a financial pressure that we'll get through or health problems that can be pretty scary, but we know that there is care ahead or someone you love is suffering through a heartbreak and, and you know you're gonna walk with them. But for other people, they do get hit time and time again and it becomes a life of tragedy. I met with somebody just last week and we meet every once in a while. Not too long ago, he lost his sister and her children in a terrible, horrific car accident. And then they lost several people that following year. And then two months ago, he loses his dad. Just waves and waves of grief, right? And you meet with him and you just see sort of this numbness in his life and in his demeanor. Uh, there are people that uniquely suffer. There's a young woman, Maria, that the community is walking with uh, here in Temecula, a young woman trying to make something out of a really tough life. She was raised in abject poverty with a single mother who was a prostitute. Her mom prostituted her when she was 16 and 17 years old. She had three children as a result of that, and, and, and she's now trying to put her life together. She's going to college. She has a roof over her head. She has a job, and she's trying to good, put her life in, in order to get her kids back at some point. And so you, you see people who just have nothing going for them, yet these folks find a way for, they find a way to get to a place of strength. They find a way to get to a place where something good can come out of their life. And that's what Philippians chapter four is all about. This final chapter of Philippians is written to a group of people who were getting hit time and time and time again, but he was giving them hope and giving them strength that something good is gonna emerge. And he, he says it in a very personal and a very casual way as he wraps up the book. And he essentially says, hang out and chill out. Hang out and chill out. I know things are tough, but you have each other and you have the peace of God. And so he says in a very personal way, hang out and chill out. He begins with verse one. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. He's gonna tell them how to stand firm in the Lord when things are going tough. And he uses very personal terms. He calls them brothers. He says, we're a family. We're a family. The church is not just a worship service. The church is not an event that you go to and, and, and leave. The church is something deeper than that. The church is something far more rich than that. The church is a family of faith. He says, we're brothers and sisters. God is our heavenly father and we are brothers and sisters. And so church isn't just to be something we attend. Church is who we are. It's our relational center. It's a, it's a place of friendship. That's why our mission statement is clear. We're thousands of friends advancing the cause of Christ. It comes from verses like this, that we are a family together. And then Paul says, relationships are our joy and crown. Relationships are our joy and crown. Now, during this season, ad agencies will mobilize billions of dollars in advertisements to get us to value things, to get us to value stuff, to get us to buy things we don't need and don't even want. But we see that commercial, right? Relationships are our joy and crown. Make sure that during this season and every season, we understand that the people around us are truly our treasure. And then he says, together we stand firm. Together we stand firm. We do a lot of counseling here at Rancho. Of course, we have pastoral counseling. We have our Safe Harbor uh, licensed therapists. And as people come in, they usually come in struggling intensely. And typically, counseling is their last resort. They've tried to do everything maybe on their own, and they realize we need some help. And, and so they, they get the help that they need. But they're, they're coming in uh, really in desperate situations a lot of times. 
And very often we'll ask them, especially if they're a couple, let's say, who's struggling, we'll say, are you surrounding yourselves with couples who are healthy and, and strong? Most of the time, no. Most of the time, no. If, if we struggle as individuals or we struggle as a family, typically we're much better off if we are struggling in a community. We're struggling with people around us who love us, who care for us. Couples who struggle, who are surrounded by strong couples, usually get help early, and so they can get healthier earlier. The Apostle Paul and the Scripture from cover to cover says, we are stronger together. You might know the proverb that says, a cord of three strands cannot easily be broken. If I had one piece of thread up here, I can snap it because I'm so strong. But if that was wrapped with five strands of thread, I probably couldn't break it because I'm not that strong. But together we stand firm. Cords that are wrapped around each other are stronger. We need each other, especially when we're getting hit hard. Then Paul says, forgive quickly. We're a family. Our relationships are our treasure. Together we stand firm, so forgive quickly. Don't let little disconnects uh, pull each other apart. Now, there's something kind of funny that takes place in Philippians 4.2. Paul calls out two people by name. These are two women who are fighting in the church of, of Philippi. He calls them out by name. Now, we know they're not fighting about anything significant. How do we know that? Because they're in church. And people in church fight about stupid things. So they're fighting about some stupid things, and Paul calls them out on it by name. So you can imagine these two ladies, probably nice ladies, but they're bickering over something. Paul calls them out in the letter to uh, Philippians that is now read by billions of people over thousands of years, right? So when you're in heaven, uh, come up to Euodia and Sintichi and just say, hey, I'm sorry. Yeah, that, they, they will say, yeah, it's kind of a bummer. We were going to name our daughters Euodia and Sintichi, but... Uh, Jenny says we might not want to do that. She vetoed that. So I plead with them to agree with each other and the Lord. Just get along. Get along. Now he's pleading with them, not just for the altruistic vision of harmony, but he says, listen, you're struggling. If you're struggling as a church under the heavy weight of persecution, why would you disconnect over little ticky-tacky things, right? But church people are known throughout the world for disconnecting over little ticky-tacky things, right? We're going to take a quiz right now. We're going to take a quiz. The quiz is, can you name the five most frequent issues of conflict among church members? Go ahead, murmur to each other even now as we speak. What do we fight about in churches? Murmur, murmur. What do you think? All right. Here's the answer based on intense research. Here's the answer. Worship styles. There are worship wars all over the place. That's why we worship in every style imaginable here at Rancho. Because, you know, back in the late 90s, there were worship wars going on hard. I mean, we were fairly traditional back in the 90s. And then we introduced, get this, a guitar. <laughs> then a, I mean, it got worse. Then a drum set. When the drum set hit the stage of Rancho Community Church, I thought the whole thing was going to fall apart. I mean, it was incredible. So we decided to just go the route of multi-venue and different worship styles, and I'm telling you, it's been awesome. Now, we can make fun of this, but, you know, you understand it. If somebody was raised with hymns, that's their heart language of worship, right? So they come into a contemporary worship environment. If they went next door, they'd have a heart attack and die on the spot, right? And so we have different styles of worship for different kinds of people as kind of a courtesy, but this has ripped churches apart. I mean, I'm telling you. Uh, number two, service time changes. Do not mess with my service time and do not sit in my seat, right? I've got my rhythms here, right? Now, this is why we change worship service times every six months at Rancho, just to keep people on their toes. Just had one recently. 
went very well, by the way, and thank you guys for being so flexible. Third, power plays on decision-making. Who's the genius that painted that wall that color, right? I mean, all kinds of judgment. We love to judge, and well, clearly there are idiots running this place. I wouldn't argue with you a lot of the time on that. Um, four, how to handle moral failures. You know, we're not perfect, and we love to judge. Church people love to judge. So if somebody blows it, we want to lay down the hammer, and then somebody says, no, let's be gracious, and we fight about it. Fifth, personal offenses. For some reason, we are very sensitive at home and very sensitive at church. Very sensitive at home and very sensitive at church. I'm telling you, it's not uncommon for us to think through our sermons and think, are we going to offend anybody here? Not that we want to offend, but, you know, let's take great care because there's so many sensitive people in homes and in churches. Church can be a real sensitive deal. Not too long ago, we had a person, I will not mention any names, um, but the person said, hey, I would like to serve in a very high, you know, like visible position. And we said, well, now's not the time, but if you kind of take this little route here, maybe we'll get there. Got so offended and left. I mean, this family's been a part of the church for 15 years and left over just little personal offenses. It's like, come on, can't we be a little tougher than that? You know, we're a family of faith and sometimes there's disagreements in a family of faith. The Apostle Paul is saying, hey, listen, get along, get along, because the cause is simply greater than the scuffle. Whatever personal offense that, that might happen between one another, it's bound to happen inevitably, right, in a family of faith. Just take it as a personal offense and forgive quickly. Forgive, Paul says, as the Lord forgave you. We're a community that rallies around the concept of love and forgiveness, right? That's, that's why we're here. We worship Jesus Christ. We honor Jesus Christ. The message of the gospel, the good news, is love and forgiveness through Jesus Christ, right? We just took communion together. Broken body of Christ, shed blood of Christ. The whole thing is about love and forgiveness, and yet he gave me the side eye after church. And I'm <laughs> We're so sensitive. Relax, right? Relax and forgive quickly. Paul goes on to say this, Philippians 4.3. He says, yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow. There's a fun Bible word for you, yoke fellow. We'll get into that one here in a little bit. We are yoke fellows. As you leave, see you next week, yoke fellow. Help these women. He's still kind of calling out these women. Help these women who have contended at my side. Now he's, he's giving them the greater cause, right? Not the ticky-tacky disconnects, but the great cause that should create unity. We've contended at, at, at Paul's side for the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. We are friends. We are family. We're written in the book of life. We have rallied together and co-labored for the cause of Christ. Why are we disconnecting, right? Instead, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Look for the best in people. Take great pleasure in one another. Now, he does use that strange word. There is no English equivalent to the Greek word that he used. That's why English translators just created a new word called yoke fellow. These two are yoke fellow. We, we had a whole series recently on the yoke, right? This is that, that bar over the beast of burden. So we're pulling together the great cause of Christ, but we're bound together. We're bound to one another. Now, clearly the one on the left is making an effort to connect. The one on the right has no interest, right? But the apostle Paul is saying, hey, listen, you're together, right? You're together. You're together in a family of faith. So figure it out. We're pulling, we're laboring towards the cause of Christ, of grace and love and mercy and forgiveness and restoration and, and healing and global transformation. You might as well get along. You're together. 
The Bible also calls us members of the body of Christ. We are united as the body of Christ. That means if this finger has a problem with this finger, then they got to figure it out because we're not going anywhere. You've got to figure it out. If there's a disconnect relationally, if, if you don't like the decision of the leadership, if you got you know, offended by somebody personally, listen, that just comes with the territory. It just does. But a family of faith covenants together to work it out, to work it out for a greater cause. Then the Apostle Paul calls us to be kind and happy. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Now, I know gentleness isn't a word we use often, and maybe a lot of us guys would say, ah, gentleness is not something I want to really take on. I, you know, man, I'm a dude. Well, Jesus described himself once in the Bible, and he says, I am gentle and humble in heart. There's something to be said about gentleness. We don't need to be brash. We don't need to be harsh. You know, we can have a softness that says, hey, if you offended me, I, can, I don't have to offend you back. I can, I can kind of be chill about that, right? I can let you go first. I don't have to have my way all the time. There's just something very nice about being gentle. It's a very Christ-like character. And as we've looked at this word a lot in the book of Philippians, that word rejoice comes up a lot. It's not a word we use at all in the English language anymore. As we discussed last week, it simply means calmly happy. Calmly happy. There's a wonderful invitation there to be together, to hang out together in a calm, united happiness. So the Apostle Paul says two things. He says, hang out and chill out, right? Hang out and chill out. So now he's talking about chilling out. Chilling out in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. It's a very famous verse. He says this, do not be anxious about anything. That's a tall order. Do not be anxious about anything. Now let's look at the context. Their leaders were being arrested. They're being persecuted on all sides. I mean, we're talking about being stoned, being beaten with clubs, crucified. I mean, we're talking about some incredible things. And yet Paul says, from a prison cell, do not be anxious about anything. Well, how, how can that happen? And I want you all to know, we're about to embark on a five-minute journey here that could change your life. You ready? How can we be stress-free? How can we be free of anxiety? Well, that's the invitation here. In everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the invitation, to be stress-free. Doesn't that sound cool? A stress-free life. So before we get into the details of how to have a stress-free life, and if you follow these details, no more stress for the rest of your life. From here. It can happen, probably won't, but it can I want you to grade yourself on your stress level. If you grade yourself as an A, that means you live a stress-free life. You roll with the punches. doesn't mean your life is perfect. It just means that you roll with the punches, that you are very even-keeled. If you're an A, you live a stress-free life. If you are an F, it means you're a flailing maniac and you get stressed out at silly things like, you know, they didn't have that product at Black Friday and the traffic was bad. You get stressed out about that. That's an F, right? So are you an A, B, C, D, F? Grade yourself. Don't grade other people. You're looking at each other going, you're at, no, forget it. That's illegal always here at Rancho. Just worry about yourself. What is your stress level? A, stress-free, F, flailing maniac. Okay, here is how to live a stress-free life. You ready? You can do it. Number one, expect bad stuff to happen. That's I'm telling you a key to a stress-free life. And some of you are thinking, how can that be stress-free if I'm expecting bad things to happen? 
Well, I'm telling you, you follow somebody who is, okay, it's going to be a good day today and everything's going to work out great. And here we go. And then five minutes later, you get socked in the head by something that didn't quite work out. Now you're truly stressed. But if you approach today saying, you know what? This day is probably going to be a nightmare. (laughs) But I'm going to get out there. I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to give it my best. I promise you, I'm not, you think I'm joking. I am, I promise you, if that is how you live your life, today could go very wrong and you just start living your life. But I'm going to give it my best. I'm going to give it my best at work. I'm going to give it my best with my family, but it could go terribly wrong. When things go wrong that day, and there's not a perfect day that has ever existed in all the earth. When things go wrong that day, you're ready for it. Okay, well, that, there it is. But if things do go well, how pleasantly surprised are you, right? That was an awesome day. It went better than I expected. I expected a nightmare and it turned out okay. I am not kidding you. You think it's funny and it kind of is. This is so key. That's why the apostle Paul says in everything, when you're stressed in everything, you can live a peaceful life. That means in the good and the bad, expect it to happen. Now there are a lot of mystics in the world of faith, right? It's understandable. Uh, but mystics, especially in the Christian faith, can say, you know what? There's power in expectation. If I expect good things to happen, God is going to take the power of my good, positive vibes and expectations, and he's going to turn that around to make good things happen to me. That is garbage. I mean, that is the biggest pile of mystic steaming garbage. It is terrible. There is no power in our expectations, right? God's not out there looking for people who are positive thinkers. and Ooh, I'm going to turn that around to a positive life. That's just not the way it works. Expect bad stuff to happen. Now, when it happens, capture it quickly. Capture the stress of it quickly. There are certainly seasons in my own life that have been somewhat stressful, either, you know, family, circumstance, leadership here. Capture it quickly. When you feel stress, and it can come across as an emotion, I feel it right here. Some of you feel it here. Some of you tingle. You get hot. I don't know whatever your thing is. But for me, it's right here. As soon as it hits, grab it, hit it back and seize it. And that's when some good self-talk can happen. Okay, I feel stress. This is not the end of the world, right? I have some people around me that love me, care for me. God's presence is there. We can start doing some, some self-talk, capture that stress quickly. I'm telling you, it's a good discipline. Stress is like a dog. It can be trained. Stress is like a dog. It can be trained. Now, I don't want to lie to you. We have dogs. We don't train our dogs. We don't love them enough to train them. They're outside dogs. They can do whatever they want to do. You're on your own. We'll pet you, but you're on your own. We have a little gate. You know, you come over to our house. Good luck. (laughs) You open that little gate and dogs are going to jump on you and whatever else. And that's just the way it is at the Treadway house and just, just deal with it. We don't train our dogs, but you can train your stress. You can train your stress. It is absolutely trainable. So when stress hits, Talk your way through that stress. I have friends. This is not the end of the world. God's presence is with me. I'm going to get through this, right? Then Philippians chapter 4 says pray. Pray. Now, listen to me good. We say things like prayer changes things. I want us to be careful about that. I don't think prayer so much changes things as prayer changes us. Prayer changes us. Now, God wants us to pray and he wants us to make requests. In fact, in Philippians 4, he says, hey, pray with requests, right? No problem with that. But he may or may not grant those requests. He's a heavenly father. We're his children. 
my daughter Aubrey wants milkshakes seven times a day. She makes her request. Can I have a milkshake? No, no, no. You can only have them five times a day in the Treadway house, right? There's limits. That was a joke. Not a very funny one. But we can make our requests to God. God may or may not answer those requests. But I pray with faith. Well, still may not be the best for you. It still may not be part of God's big picture plan, right? So prayer is not necessarily intended to change things. Prayer is intended to change us. When we pray, stress can begin to disappear. So we bring our stresses to God. We bring our requests to God with open hands. God, here's what I'd like to see happen. You're God, I'm not. But just the fact that we're talking to God grounds us. It grounds us in something big and deep and rich and powerful. It grounds us in God's grace and grounds us in God's presence and grounds us in God. He is the sovereign, right? So whatever I'm dealing with is put in its proper place under the good sovereign work of God. And then it says, pray with thanksgiving. Be thankful. Be thankful. Thankfulness is a huge discipline, and it's incredible. I love the fact that as a country, we have a day dedicated to Thanksgiving and hope you gave thanks through the weekend. Being thankful is awesome. It's one of the greatest stress relievers. In fact, when people come in for counseling, either through pastoral counseling or safe harbor, they're coming in with a lot of stress, and sometimes that stress is on their face. You could see it, and it could be anger. It could be sadness. It could be that they're kind of hunched over and just kind of disheveled and discouraged, and you can see it. And very often we, would, we will tell people, hey, what, you know, what do you have to be thankful for? I know this is very difficult and we'll deal with it, but what do you have to be thankful for? And sometimes the hardest one to come up with is the first one because we've trained ourselves to think about this big problem that we're facing. You know, family problem, financial problem, health problem. We've trained ourselves to think about the problem. And so we box out the good things that we have to be thankful for. So there's great discipline about bringing those things to the forefront. And when somebody, after usually a good long period of time, says, you know what? I am thankful for this person. I'm thankful for God's grace. I'm thankful that I have a roof over my head. I'm thankful. And then all of a sudden, that starts rolling and snowballing. And before you know it, they have listed dozens of things to be thankful for. And you see their face turn into a bit of a smile. And their shoulders go back and their heads go up because they have something to be thankful for, something good to ground their lives on. Pray but also be thankful. And then let God give you peace. When we kind of let go of that stress and we're capturing that thought and we're praying and we're thankful, we let go of that stress. I mean, spiritually and physically, just let it go. God will pour his peace into our lives. He absolutely will. We just fight him with anxiety. We fight him. We fight him by focusing on negatives and focusing on what we don't have and focusing on the challenge instead of focusing on God's grace and God's goodness that no matter how bad things get in our lives, he wants to flood us with peace. And he wants us to know, I will never leave you or forsake you. My grace is always in your life. Even if you have made poor choices, if you, if you have failed, even if you've ruined your own life, I still love you and my grace and forgiveness is on you. I sent my son Jesus Christ to die for you, to pay for all of your failures, to forgive you, to rise again from the dead, to give you new life. And that new life is coming even when things are tough. Let God give you peace. And then finally, think about the good stuff. Think about the good stuff. And there is a lot of good stuff happening in life and a lot of good stuff happening in this world. I usually don't promote my own messages, but if you weren't here last week, you got to see last week's message. There are so many good things happening in this world. We detailed a bunch of them, dozens of them last week. There are so many good things happening in this world. And when we're focused on the bad... We're focused on the negative. We're focused on the struggles. Not only do we box out the things to be thankful for, but we box out 
the focus on some very good things happening in our lives and in this world. And a very good invitation to participate in those things. I mean, we have the power because the world is so small with technology and kind of a oneness of thinking that is happening globally at an unprecedented level. We can participate in the good things that are happening all over this world, in our own town and throughout this globe. There's a lot of good stuff happening. So the Apostle Paul says this, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Put your mind on the good stuff that's happening. Now, we live in a world and a country full of negativity. It is ridiculously full of neg- negativity. It is, it, is, it is politics and it is news media. And, and some people have had to take a break from those things. And I would encourage you, if you're sucked into the black hole of negativity, give it a break for at least a week. Just give it a break for a week. You know, the world of politics and the news media is not, you know, depending on whether you participate in that right now, Right. Give it a week. Focus on the positive things around you and the positive things that are going on locally and globally and watch your life thrive a little more than it is perhaps now. It really is an incredible thing to think about the good things that are happening in this world Uh, and and to not sweat the small stuff. A lot of times we freak out about small stuff. Um, I uh, had a saying with my kids when they were young. They hated it, and I loved that they hated it. Is that a big thing or a little thing? They'd be freaking out about, oh, my brother took this, my sister did that. Big thing or little thing? Little thing, Dad. Little thing. When they got older, ugh. Oh, just walk out. <laughs> we stress out about the little things. You know, that Black Friday thing, the traffic, you know. Your mother said something that hurt my feelings. Well, she always says stuff that hurts your feelings. Big deal. You know, that's just who she is. The house isn't perfect for our guests. You know, we haven't figured everything out for Christmas. Stress, stress, stress. Relax. Chill out, chill out. Philippians 4 encourages us, hang out, be tightly connected in a relationship and chill out. Let the peace of God rule in your life. And what will come as a result is this cool little word right here, contentment. To live a content life. And some might say, well, I'll be content if I have more money, if I get that job, if, if my spouse obeys me, if my kids are perfect. You know, I'll be content if, well, forget about the if. Here's what Paul says to wrap up this incredible letter. I know what it is to be in need. He's in prison. I know what it is to have a lot. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in poverty. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Some people say, ooh, does that mean I cannot study for a test And God, you're going to give me strength and get an A on the test? No, you're going to fail the test. Does that mean that, you know what, we're playing a team that is far superior than us, but God, uh, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength? No, you're you're going to get your butts beat. Or God, I've never run in my life, but I'm going to sign up for this marathon because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength? No, by mile seven, you're going to be, you know, cramping up and throwing up and you're not going to finish. That verse is in a context a context of a church that was struggling, a context of a church that was thinking, I don't know if I'm going to make it. And Paul says, you can make it. You've got this. You can do everything through Christ who strengthens you. Hang out with each other. Be there for each other. Be well-connected and learn the discipline of a peaceful life. Hang out 
and chill out. And Paul says to, to conclude, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ will be with your spirit. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for the power of your word. The Bible is so real and so alive and so effective uh, to transform our lives. And God, Philippians 4 is um, just so powerfully pragmatic. For, for those of us who struggle, and we all do to one degree or another, maybe it's with smaller things or maybe some of us are uniquely struggling, being hit time and time again, God, I pray that you would let the words of Philippians 4 seep deep into every soul here, that we would be well-connected, that we wouldn't struggle alone, that we wouldn't be on our own, but God, that we would be connected with brothers and sisters, with you as our Heavenly Father, well-grounded in relationships, surrounded by love, so that if things go sideways, we are made stronger together, that we wouldn't be easily offended by each other and self-protective, but realize we are a united family of faith. And God, that we would learn to train uh, this, this stress so that we wouldn't live in anxiety, but that we would be anxious about nothing. And that we would let your peace guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, that we wouldn't sweat the small stuff, that we would uh, expect things to go wrong every once in a while, but uh, we would be able to capture that emotion and, and we would be able to pray through that and be thankful. God, that we would be well-connected and at peace to truly live this contentment that you offer all of us. In Christ's name we pray, amen.